This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. We're talking travel on 2NURFM 103.7 and Barry Warwick. Well, it isn't really very cold at the moment, not at all wintry, but let's think of somewhere that is just a little bit more wintry. Well, believe it or not, it is wintry. Uh, in Alaska, even though it is really their summer, and um, I've just returned, or a couple of weeks ago, I've returned from Alaska, and uh, I tell you what, um, the temperatures weren't all that great. They were were reaching about 19 during the day, so uh, and that was on a really good day, and sometimes not even making that. But I certainly had a pleasant time, and um, it was a, a great journey. Uh, it's interesting to, I guess, travel overseas and. Um, I had the the pleasure of going on a, a Regent Seven Seas cruise, um, and the ship that I went on was the Seven Seas Voyager. Now there, um, there are, of course, a number of ways you can cruise the Inside Passage, and and this is one of them. That's that's right. There's actually 22 different shipping lines that sort of go up that go up that, that area. Route. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it gets fairly busy, and um, you know, uh, I I guess. There's a number of differences between the, the, the ships that operate. Uh, you know, you've got Holland America Line, which uh, still has the, the formal seating. Um, and, um, you know, you, you have your preset dinner times, but you also have to dress on certain nights, so you have to take along your tuxedo. Um, there are others like um, the Seven Seas Voyager, which I was on, where it was... Um, I think it's called Country Club Casual. Is so you do need a coat to attend the captain's cocktail um, and possibly a tie. I did have a tie. Uh, but you don't need to take so many formal clothes. But you can still have that elegant dress. Um, now, cruising is a great way to... Um, to certainly see the uh, the Alaskan coast, and I'd certainly recommend it for anyone um, to do in terms of... You can just sit, and the ship that I went on was uh, an all-balcony um, ship, so every cabin had a balcony, um, whereas some of them do have inside cabins and outside cabins. But it was just nice to be able to lie in bed um, looking out on this magnificent scenery as it sort of drifted by. And the other thing that um, being there... Well, the days were still really, really long. So we had morning starting around about, um, I guess, um, 4 a.m. Not that I was really up at 4 a.m., but, um, and then going right through till about 11 o'clock at night. So plenty uh, of time for plenty of time to, (laughs) and if you sleep like I do with you, you, windows open you know when you wake up you're just there and you're just gazing out at this magnificent scenery that um that sort of is drifting by as i mentioned before can can you get there any other way like by road um no a lot of the the places aren't um they have limited roads and like you you go into the the um towns like ketchikan um and there's no well, Ketchikan there may be, but some of the others, like Juneau, has no road to the rest of um, the rest of Alaska. Uh, Sitka is actually on an island, so again, there's no roads to the mainland. So everything really has to be brought in by ship, and you have the marine highway that uh, that 
brings in all the goods that they need. Uh, the interesting thing is that there's lots and lots of jewellery shops as you go ashore in these towns and um, they're there for the four months of the, the Alaskan cruising season. And then they pack up and they move down to the Caribbean because apparently everyone that's on a cruise is really relaxed and um, I guess husbands like to spoil their wives at this particular point in time. And um, so the jewellery shops do do a fairly good trade. But, uh, you know, again, whether, whether you get a good value, I think you need to do a little bit of shopping before you leave home. But there's certainly a lot of different designs to what you would see here. So... Um, it's well worth um, worth doing. And my wife scored a um, a topaz, which uh, they call the Northern Lights in Alaska. I've, I've forgotten what they call it in the Caribbean, but uh, it's a little bit like Alexandrite, and it, it reflects a number of different colours out of it. And um, the Alexandrite is, um, I th- believe, more expensive than diamonds. And so, to so have something that is substantially cheaper but looking more expensive is is well, I think, good. Mm. But, um, you know, the, the cruising is really the only way to see places like Ketchikan, Juno, Sitka. Um, and it gives you a day in there and you can do the, um, uh, you know, train. there is a train trip that um, goes out of Skagway. Um, which goes up into the Canadian border, uh, and it was where the old gold rush to Dawson City um, went. And it's interesting just to find, well, to learn about the hardships that those people endured to try and make their fortune in gold. Uh, but you do need to carry your passport when you go on that train trip. And you can actually go up and back by train, or you can go up one way by train and come back the other way by coach. So, so you're not on the boat the whole time. So you're not on the boat all, all the time. We, we had a seven night cruise. Um, the f- first day we were cruising, uh, the next five days we were actually sightseeing and then the last day um, we were cruising all day again. So, To NURFM 103.7, we're talking travel and we're in the Inside Passage, Canada and Alaska with Barry Warwick. And uh, Barry, what's it like being on a ship in this area for seven nights? It's quite a time. Well, as, as mentioned in the last segment, you, you're out sightseeing each day and we we called into um, Juno, Skagway, Ketchikan, uh, Sitka um, on the journey. So that virtually was you had the day ashore and then you had the evening to really enjoy shipboard life and, you know, a breakfast in the morning. Um, you could go back to the ship for lunch if you wanted to. Now, this was an interesting vessel in that uh, it does things that are a little bit different to some of the other cruise lines. For example, um, this cruise line tipping is included. So um, you didn't have to worry about tips if you felt that your cabin crew were um, outstanding. What the ship actually recommended was that you go down to the purser and actually give a joint uh, a tip to the whole staff so that they could have a staff party and, and that's really nice. Now on a lot of other vessels what happens is that you get on and tips form part of it so you are automatically charged for the tip. 
on, so you, you've paid your fare and you think, yeah, well, I'm almost there. And then you get this 10 US dollars a day to cover tipping or you can go down and have it taken off, but then you feel lousy if you've done that. And, uh, you can, you still sometimes feel that you have to tip your cabin crew. And I just, I just find the whole tipping experience is, um, it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? Australians it's, feel that way about it. It's tipping. a minefield, and even the Americans. And I spoke to some Americans on board this ship, and they said the one great thing was that tips were included. But um, when I was there, the, uh, I heard on the radio that the the um, minimum wage is something like five dollars an hour for American uh, wait staff, uh, or, or for American workers which is incredible when you think about uh, it's not very much. Um, but then I was talking to an American. They said, oh, yes, but in the restaurants, um, quite often they're only paid as little as $2.75 an hour. And so that's why the tipping is important. And a lot of the um, restaurants that we went into, you actually had to pay uh, the staff member that waited on your table. And, and so your tips are on average 15% for food, but... It can vary depending, like in New York, it's 20%. And it's just, for us, it's, it is a minefield. So that was one great thing. I found the, the staff on board to be extremely friendly because they, and you didn't feel that they were doing it just for the tip because obviously there was no tipping. The other interesting point that this vessel had was that all alcohol was included. Now, you could upgrade the wine or whatever that was available for, you know, the evening meal um, and pay additional. But generally speaking, uh, they served good quality wine or if you wanted spirits or beer or anything, you could just order it. And so you didn't have to sign it and therefore it didn't go on your tab. So you knew that uh, up front uh, everything was paid for. Now, when I was going on this vessel, I thought... There's going to be a lot of drunks, you know. We've heard of the experience out of Australia. Um, and it was remarkable. I did not see one drunk person. And um, I was advised by um, the, the crew on board that since they've introduced this policy, the consumption of alcohol on the ship has actually dropped. It's so, interesting. So uh, that's good. And I think it's the class of people that are that this particular vessel attracts because it's an all-suite vessel. Um, it's got large rooms, even in the lowest grades. It's um, it's a really good um, value. Now, another thing that was a little bit different is that uh, while you had um, two restaurants that... Um, plus a sort of another semi-restaurant that they, they brought out at times. And when I say semi, it was on deck. They You, you could get meals at certain times. Um, you had two restaurants to choose from. It was open seating. So you didn't have to go to the first seating or the uh, first sitting or the second sitting. But in addition to that, they had two specialty restaurants. One was um, French Indochina type food and the other one was French food. Uh, now, you did have to book to go to this, but the service was outstanding. On other vessels, you would pay additional to go to these better class restaurants. But here, again, it was all included. And there were 10 of us that were at a table one night having dinner in the French restaurant. And the main course was brought out at the same time. So you had five people that were each with a plate for each person. The covers were on the food and that 
cover was, was taken off at the same moment. So everyone was served at the same time. And I was just so impressed. Um, the service was just outstanding. And, that, you know, it's something that I really, um, really appreciated as opposed to some of the, um, the, the other ships that are around. It was elegant, uh, but probably not, uh, you know, this, this was a 50,000 ton ship which carried 700 passengers. The ratio of crew to passengers was 1.6. I think the average is um, around about two for most shipping lines. Um, but I appreciated that again when we went into port because there wasn't this big rush to get off. Uh, when you look at the Sapphire Princess, which is probably double in tonnage, um, I think it's around about 104, 105, somewhere around that, um, and it carries 3,000 passengers, you can imagine that 3,000 passengers sort of trying to get on and off at the one time is, uh, you know, you're just in the crowds. And my wife actually remarked to me as we were um, going on board ours uh, and we looked over at the Sapphire Princess and we saw two gangplanks operating with uh, quite a number of people uh, in queue stretching back and we could just wander on and off our, our ship. And it was just these little things that you that we appreciated that this particular vessel offered. So Not feeling so pressured. Exactly. That's Talking Travel for today. Thank you, Barry Warwick. Thank and, you, Jane. And uh, we'll be talking travel again next Friday after the 1 o'clock news on 2NURFM 103.7.